0: Hello, I'm Jen Uphoff Gray, founder and artistic director of Forward Theater Company in Madison, Wisconsin. And this is Theatre Forward, a twice-monthly conversation about theater from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison to Manhattan, we're excited to share insight into our own company while exploring issues surrounding theater in the Midwest and around the country. Welcome to episode 86 of Theatre Forward. For this episode, we wanted to check back in on the topic of theater education in this country, having last considered the subject in the early months of the pandemic. I am thrilled to be joined today by two incredible colleagues who work with me here at Forward and who also work as theater educators. We have Dr. Khalid Wai-Long, who is an assistant professor of theater and of African-American studies at the University of Georgia. Before joining their faculty, he taught at Columbia College in Chicago. I've had the pleasure of working with Khalid as a dramaturg during our production last season of Adrian and Adam Kennedy's Mom, How Did You Meet the Beatles? And currently on our production of Kirsten Greenwich's Feeding Beatrice, A Gothic Tale. And then we also have with us Marcella Kearns who recently joined Forward Staff, hooray, as our artistic associate. In addition to freelance work as a director, actor, and dramaturg, Marcy's an adjunct instructor at Marquette University and the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. She's also a core faculty member for First Stage Theater's Young Company. Welcome, Khaled and Marcy, two of my favorite people.
1: Thank you, thank you.
0: It is so good to have you here, and I am really excited to dive into this conversation about what is going on in theater training programs. This has been um, an eventful and rocky few years in our field, um, and I'm I'm excited to hear about what you are seeing um, in your classrooms. And so if we could just start with maybe just a little synopsis of your journey, each of you as theater educators, Khalid, I'll go to you first for that.
1: Yes, thank you. Um, so was well, interesting. I always like to share that I never imagined I would be where I am. And I don't mean that in the sense of I don't belong here. I shouldn't be here. What I mean is I was not a great student. Um, in college, it was like if I got a C in math or a C in science, I was happy with that. But I always got A's in my theater classes. So that was like, oh, you know, this is probably what you should be doing. Um, And I mean, like all of them from acting, directing, and even like, especially theater history and dramatic criticism. Um, And then I went to graduate school, Miami University of Ohio, and I was a TA. And part of my assignment was to teach. I was an instructor on record, like intro to theater studies, intro to theater, things of that nature. And then I ended up getting my PhD um, in theater performance studies. And so just like my master's program, kept teaching um, and just sort of developing my craft as a dramaturg. As a professor, as a scholar. Um, And then it was like, well, time to look for a job. And the PhD program really groomed me for academia um, in many ways. Um, And it was sort of the trajectory, I guess, that I sort of figured I would take um, by my second year in my PhD program. And so then I, you know, I I was an adjunct at several schools while finishing up my dissertation. And my first tenure track position was at Columbia College, Chicago, when I started there in 2018. Um, And then I did some really great work there. Um, I developed a theater studies concentration, developed the dramaturgy area, um, and then ended up, you know, just felt like it was time to move on to the next level. And so I ended up going to, well, coming here to University of Georgia um, in theater studies and as well as in African-American studies. So it was a joint appointment. Um so that's sort of like the short um mm-hmm. of it all.
0: Fantastic. And Marcy, how about you?
2: I started working as a theater educator, uh, through studio arena in Buffalo regional theater, now sadly gone right out of college and right before I went overseas to, um, to do Fulbright in Vienna. And so through over the course of the couple of years that I was back and forth coming back to the States, um, I was purposefully um, cultivating skills as an educator because I knew it was one of the hats I wanted to wear to give back eventually. But um, I didn't undertake it um, on a deeper level until I had an acting internship at the Milwaukee Rep some years later as the last part of my um, MFA program in acting. I I worked as uh, an in school and at the theater educator for the rep for first stage for many years and got connected to um, dear Carthage college and uh, have been, have been adjuncting at universities since I want to say it's about probably 2011 at this point. Um, So I'm focused at UWM and Marquette right now, but, um, and have discovered that I think my sweet spot is older students, Mm -hmm. but I love them all. You learn a lot from a kindergartner. Mm -hmm. So it's just one of the hats I wear, but it's also one that I feel is really important um, because the intergenerational connection that we have to those who are coming up in our industry is key.
0: Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit also just about um, your work with First Stage. Because that brings those high school students in as well. Yeah, yeah. so um,
2: I've worked both in school and at the uh, academy at first stage, which runs year round and through the summer. But um, my focus is at the young company, which is a year round advanced training program for high schoolers. It's the only program that you have to audition for at first stage and you might not get into. Um, it's run uh, right now by um, Matt Daniels, it was founded by John McLean originally, and uh, along with Forward Advisory Company member, Elise settlement the three of us are core faculty there and we um, have guest artists come in to work, we really, we're, we're giving them as much as we can of what they might get as an undergraduate um, in college. Uh, so they, they train all through the year, but then they also have three performance projects throughout the course of the year um, with ticket sales and everything. Oh. Um, and that's uh, the Young Company, I think, has been a real feeder for theater artists in Wisconsin and beyond. In fact, uh, Alex Salter, who is in Feeding Beatrice, is a former Young Company member.
0: Yeah, definitely a theater. the The training that those young people get in that program is really extraordinary. I always can tell, even before looking at someone's resume during an audition, if they've uh, trained with the Young Company. I'm like, "Yep, there it is. I see it right there on your in your performance." Um, so, uh, if we could restart, like I would love to hear um, your observations about how you've seen um, theater education evolving during the pandemic, like. Um, sort of the perspective of what was it like in those early days, and and how is it looking now? Um, Colin Mabels, we'll, we'll start with you again.
1: So it's interesting because I so I teach a lot of really like theater history, dramatic criticism um, courses, dramaturgy. So a lot of the heady, you know, intellectual design courses. Um, dramaturgy is also a practical course, but in the, in in the context of like you know academia and the curriculum. They see it as sort of more of a theater studies type of course um, and and performance studies and classes like that. Um, I don't often teach directing or acting in some of the other practical courses because we have folks who are just especially uh, 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 trained in those areas. And I think they should teach those courses, you know. Um, And so and I'm giving that background to sort of preface the fact as a preface to say that You know, my classes are the ones where students sometimes, they don't recognize at first that that's what they, they they should know these things. They should have these, you know, these areas as a background um, and be informed about theater intellectually, um, critically, right? So that that then informs their practical choices in their areas that they may sort of go into, be it design or performing and so forth. Um, and so in many ways, you, sometimes you get the students where it's like, I'm just here to get the grade and you're like, that's fine. We'll make this work. Oftentimes there's a moment towards the middle of the semester where the students go, oh, I did not know that this is really interesting. And I go, yes, this is informing your practice. This is why you should be here. Great. <laughs> um, now it's a little different with like my, my, like the straight drama courses, American drama, global drama, or something like that. Right. Because, you know, most students are there and have a sort of an interest in reading plays. Most, not all. I've had theater students who will say, I don't really like reading plays. And I'm always sort of like baffled. I'm like, well, why are you here? But I've also learned to say, you have an interest in designing, whether that's costume, lighting, sort and in that world, the tech world and so forth. And so reading plays may not be your forte, but at the very least, learn how to read them so that you're able to join the discussion with, you know, when you're at the table with other designers working on a show and so forth. Um, and so that's sort of the thing like pre-pandemic and then the pandemic happened. We're on Zoom and everyone is fatigued, everyone's sort of over it. And I think also we're sort of just concerned about like our health as well. Right. So all those things sort of happening at the same time, you know, um, and post-pandemic and, and, and not really post-pandemic, but sort of, you know, the phase where we're entering back into the classroom, What I've recognized is that I've had to slow down. And and I don't mean like me personally, but I've had to sort of slow down with the curriculum. I've had to pull back. I've had to say, okay, instead of reading two to three articles today, we're going to read one play. The next class we meet this week, we'll read an essay to sort of accompany or some type of another object of study to accompany the play that we're reading. Um, And we'll sort of just take our time with it. and because students, I'm learning that they're, they just don't have the capacity in this moment to take it all in. Now, I think, that is at, I think that's at certain locations. I think that is you know, certain students. And then you have some students who are really excited and interested in the discipline. And so for me, I think that there's a, really a larger sort of survey or audit that needs to happen about who we're letting into these programs and how we're sort of assessing them throughout the years. And the last thing I'll say is, I'll just give an example. I I was at Columbia College in Chicago during the pandemic when it happened. And I remember I was talking about assessing students. How do we assess them to see how they're doing throughout the years they're there for an undergraduate program? And And I sort of used the University of Maryland where I got my PhD from, and I also was an adjunct there at one time. University of Maryland has a system where they have benchmarks every year that undergraduate students need to meet. And there's a larger conversation about um, where they are, um, feedback, what they need to do to sort of get where they need to be. Um, And really a larger conversation sometimes where we'll tell a student, you know, you're not doing as well as you could be. Let's sort of figure out how to get you sort of up to par. But at the same time, let's also have a conversation about whether you should be here in this particular program as a theater student, because sometimes students, they think they want to do something. They join the major and two to three years in, they really don't want to be there and they really don't want to do that, but they feel lost, they feel trapped, they feel sort of imprisoned and that they can't get out and do anything else. And so that is something that schools sort of need to, I think, take into consideration as well. So all that to say, I think, and then fast forward to where we are the pandemic, I think that is sort of a little bit more heightened. We need to really sort of assess where students are and why they're in this major, I, I believe deeply that if you're in a major, you should love it, you should be excited about it, and you should have a desire that is going to push you intellectually, practically, and more specifically prepare you for some type of career where these things get to be used. So,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Marcy. How about you? What are you, What are you seeing in your classrooms? Oh, I have, I have, I just have so many
2: responses to what I just heard that are directly tied to what my my students have said to me. Um, This Yesterday, I actually uh, sat down with them. And last week, over the last couple of weeks, I've actually done some work with them on how many hours are you putting in for your job, for your studies? um, And how much of your week is that taking up? Just to build a practical sense of what it is like to be in a production cycle while they're also working full-time, essentially. and. So uh, so what I'm trying to do these days with them, in person with them now, is to anchor them in the practical, in what it is like to work in the industry. Um, the first thing that I would love to say is that yesterday, one of them said that the pandemic... Uh, made them appreciate theater history so much more. Hmm. Um, This as a global statement for what I'm seeing from a lot of them, which is they're so happy to be back. Um, What they learned, I think, is what a lot of, just like what a lot of us learned who were teaching um, online or uh, in a hybrid and being aware of uh, fear, health factors, not being able to take attendance as part of, Um, our work in a class anymore, even though theater is experiential. You, you, you need to be there in order to exercise and practice the skills. We couldn't do that. Um, So, uh, so what I, this, the same thing was occurring uh, over the course of the pandemic. uh, I was learning how to do less. Um, Flower Darby, and uh, there's a uh, Thomas Tobin, who is actually on faculty at the University of Madison, or University of Wisconsin Madison, um, ha- informed me about how to work during the pandemic when everybody's capacity was down. Um, small teaching is the key, um, but small teaching online was a real key, um, and we would pare down lessons so that key concepts would be transmitted, but they were digestible. And I've taken that into post-pandemic teaching um, because it's not just a matter of students' capacity, it's a matter of how they learn now. Um, Oh, this is going everywhere. But um, I, I think that many of them have expressed how over the course of the pandemic, when they had to take classes online, and a lot of the generations of students that I'm working with either lost their senior year or they came to college and then lost um, lost time in person in college, and so they are they have expressed a lot of gratitude for being able to be back and being able to be in community. Um, while at the same time, uh, they learned what they really wanted to do. So they said, uh, some of them have expressed how with the pandemic taking theater away, with um, not being able to be in a room and making stories in a room, they realized how much they wanted to do that so the students who are there want to be there um and they have also expressed a lot of optimism or hope that those in other industries that there's that there's going to be a workforce of people who want to be doing the jobs they're doing uh, in their generation because because they realized when you have nothing what 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 do you want to do you want to explore your passions. One of them said actually yesterday, rather than what we need to do to survive, although that's absolutely important. <laughs> um, so, so coming through the pandemic in some, I think uh, they are more purposeful. They are much more vulnerable, but much more forthcoming about expressing their vulnerabilities and their frustrations and much more, driven about finding a way
0: through. Mm-hmm. Let, let me ask a sort of connected follow-up, be, especially because both of you are practicing freelance artists in the field, in addition to working in academia. And how much do you think the, the field has gone through so much re-examination during this time, starting with that sort of pause where we couldn't produce live, um, so much reinvention, so much discussion about what's an appropriate work-life balance, you know, what percentage of your time, speaking to what you were talking about, Marcy, and tracking hours, you know, what is an acceptable amount of time in a day, in a week, in a year to devote to your work, Um, you know, so all of that work-life balance uh, and what's appropriate uh, conversation in the field. Also, we see white American theater, you know, grappling with, with, inequity, injustice, white supremacy, all of that in our field, how does that impact the decisions we make? And how much are you seeing those conversations um, replicated or just sort of paid attention to? Is there an awareness of them amongst your students? And how is that changing things in the classroom for either of you? Mm, College, you look good, like you've got to come. <laughs>
1: that's a good question. So I, I want to answer it this way. So there's sort of a, it's sort of a it's sort there's sort of two answers, but they're related. The first one is this, and especially for students, students when they are a part of a production on campus, like a campus production or you know a department production and so forth, they don't see that as work. They see it as i mean and let me let me rephrase that. they enjoy the work differently. um you know, so of course you get the students who will say, "Hey, I have tech, I have this, I have that." Can I miss class? That's a larger conversation. We'll figure that out as we move along. You know, um, I walk into, we just did a torch song here at University of Georgia. And we are, they're in rehearsal for another show right now. And then they're gearing up to do night song next semester. A little night, no, a little night music, excuse me. I'm getting my shows mixed up. A little Mm
2: -hmm. night music,
1: which I may be dramaturg. So I've been doing Mm -hmm. directors around that. And so when I walked into class, for instance, last Thursday, they were all discussing it. Um, and so they're excited about that kind of work. Right? And so for them, they don't see it as labor in the way in which people a little bit older in their 30s and 40s and older and 50s and 60s, how we see work. <laughs> Where we go, I don't care what this is. I need a break. I'm taking off next week. I need a vacation you know, next month. I'm taking off two weeks, whatever the case may be. When it comes to, when it comes to like their studies, they see that as work. And 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 sometimes you have to have the conversation with them about well this is work it is a it is an intellectual work and it is, it is a muscle the, the phrase that I use all the time with them is it is a muscle that you have to sort of flex and it is a practice that you have to rehearse often you have to practice and rehearse this often um, whether that in, in, in like because reading a play reading critical scholarship it it takes a particular kind of set of skills um, and we have to rehearse and we have to practice. And the classroom is where we come together and sort of do a dry run. Right. Um, and I try to sort of use that phrasing. Some of them get it. Some of them are like, yeah, I get it. And then I often say, and I'm giving you tools just like our discipline at large, you can take with you for any classroom or any sort of other area where it can work. But and so, so students see, the, see it differently. Right. Um, and, and, and yeah, that's, I I sort of want to think about it that way in the context of work and how they see work today.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. How about you, Marcy? How how are they talking about these, these bigger issues? Um,
2: they reflect the, the broader conversation that I think the industry has had, which is, it was great. We had some wonderful discussions when we were all at home and now where is it being executed? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. How is the change happening? Mm -hmm. Um, And that uh, there's some frustration at that because uh, but also there's some necessity um, uh, for as we all came back, um, we accelerated in some cases too quickly. And in some cases, we accelerated out of necessity for the survival of a department, for the survival of. Uh, uh, the the program itself, and so that that balance is something that imbalance um, in the broader industry is something that the students see and are very outspoken about. Um, at the same time, um, they they're they're very grateful that they're there. So to to jump on the conversation about what they perceive as work, right. <laughs> um, a lot of them realized. Um, well, it's di- it's different at the two universities that I'm at now. It, um, one university, it's more like they're they're. I, I said, look at rehearsal, performance, studies, mm-hmm. um, class hours, and then any other job you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the first time that a lo- that a lot of them, several several of them, said, "Oh, wait, yeah, do we count rehearsal as yes?" Yes, as as, as um, future professionals, this is your job, but also yes. your research time. Um, this is a side note. I've had students who hadn't been in the university library until my class. And yes, years in, they're a couple yes. years in. So to so to teach and to uh, to teach where there are resources for them to be able to put into practice the period work that they're doing, the contemporary work that they're doing. That's that's been a big thing. But they there's some things that they haven't perceived as work, yes, because they're excited about it, but also they they haven't seen the broader picture and have are starting to, I think, see the broader picture of, oh, this takes this takes time. And right. how do we balance? So in my own small way, I'm trying to say here, here's how you can pursue that balance is really by respecting your art as your work and your vocation as your work. Right. It is your work. Right. So start thinking of it now, uh, in that way. And, and you'll be able to better sift out and sort out.
1: Yeah. If I can, can I, can I add on to what you're saying here? Mm-hmm. Um, is the library part is so true. I like, the thing that gets me a lot with students is they'll say, can you give me a list of plays? And I go, I can give you a list of plays, but there is a library that you pay for. There's also a free library in your, most cities, big or small have free libraries. There's, there's online tool. I mean, there's resources. Just go and read plays. Do like I used to do. I used to go to, it's, and, 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 you know, so just go and read plays, and then you come and tell me what you've read recently. I have not read all plays. And so we can sort of swap, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and to some degree, I think they see that as a form of labor going to the library. They don't, and they may see it as a form of labor, but I often think they see it as a form of labor that doesn't, in, in some ways, pay them back or that they're not compensated for, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'm going to go do this, but why? And so the, 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 the issue here, I think, is the larger issue is really about academia in general, Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I think we all could have conversations about academia and the ways in which it is, you know, a capitalist enterprise today and yada, yada, yada. And guess what? I'm still a part of it. And I teach there. Um, I'm also in the arts and humanities, so I don't make a lot of money. right? So mm-hmm. I, I'm also thinking about, like, what area that I'm in. And I'm also in a very underfunded discipline. I just want to put that out there. At every yeah. school I've mm-hmm. been a part of, I've always been in the underfunded discipline. right? Um, and that in, that is in terms of what we get to take care of our students, put on our productions, the resources, and all that. To even my own paycheck It's always underfunded, <laughs> but I do it because I love it, right? And that's what I want the students to get and sort of understand, right? You do this because you love it and because you like it. Um, the other thing is, is that students. I remember when I was an undergrad, and my and I was a I was a I wasn't the best student, as I said earlier. You know, I was not the best student, um, but I was a good student. I did what I needed to do to get by. But when it came to my theater classes, oh, I was always 100 on point Um, is what I wanted to do. But I also had professors uh, that I loved and there was a sort of uh, relationship that I built with them. There was a trust, right, you know, which is important, especially in theater. And I remember when she said, you know, as a theater student, you need to know all these plays, you need to know, all this. Now, And granted, you know, she gave us a canon. And today as a scholar, as someone on the other side, I can critique what she sort of taught in her philosophy. But I, I, I know my classics. Right. I know my dramatic criticism. I know theater history. She would say read a play a day. And I did Mm. I still have my living theater history textbook edition one. Mm. When I was an undergrad, it's like edition six now. So when I was an undergrad and I would write, every time I read a play, I would write it in the the cover of the book. So Mm. both covers are like filled with plays that I've read. But my point is that I just would every morning get up and read a play because I just enjoyed it. I fell in love with Oscar Wilde. I fell in love with Chekhov. I fell in love with Brecht right? I fell in love with Lon Elder and and Douglas Turner Ward, right? Like, and and maybe I didn't understand fully what those plays, what what was happening in those plays. I remember reading Chekhov. I don't know if it's Three Sisters, Cherry Orchard, and just kept saying, what is the strap at the end of the play? The strap, what is the sound of the strap? I don't get it. Now I understand that it's about metaphor. I understand that Chekhov is actually comedy. Like, there's Mm -hmm. so many things I get now, right? Because I'm older, more experienced, but I want students to sort of start somewhere and have a foundation. And it just mm-hmm. seems like it's, it is hard, not for all, but for many, for our discipline. And so I think, you know, what I'm trying to get to, and Marcel, I'm sort of bouncing off what you sort of hinted at a little bit, right? Is that there's, there, might be, there might need to be like an audit or an assessment of the discipline as a whole and sort of what we are doing, mm-hmm. um, what we are doing, and why we're doing it. And who we're allowing in to be a part of this very precious thing. I think theater is precious, and I don't want everybody to be a part of it. You know, you you need to earn your way in, and not in some like, you know, um, scolding student learning method form, but sort of like you need to sort of prove that you should be here. Um, in many ways. Yeah, I just want, I, I, that's sort of like where my mind is going. Marcella, you got me thinking about this stuff.
2: Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, there's, it's, it's uh, amazing to see. I have students who will, I'll, I'll mention a name and they'll say, what's that name? And, uh, yes. and, uh, you know, there are things that I can only touch on the, the tip of the iceberg about. And, and I'll, I'll have to give them a text and they'll, they'll write down, they'll take pictures of the books that I bring yes. in. So I love that they are self driven. Those who are self driven who want more resources um that's that's just gonna um be to their advantage but they're also this is a detour a little bit but they're 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 also they've expressed how um sometimes it's hard to be to be um studying to be so immersed in in the workload that they are impatient to be following their vocation which is which is storytellers in the community they want to be involved in the community and they're they're finding uh they're finding their time is too small right now to do so so i think that's another frustration they express yeah but i do want to say something about the way that they learn too so some as they're as they're um finding more resources beyond what we can give them and i think understanding that we can't give them everything but we can drive them to do so uh, on their own that uh, uh, one of them actually expressed yesterday that he's seeing something, which I think I've been trying very hard to do. And I think some educators are Um, in fact, Marquette university had a lot of um, professors contribute essays to a book that they published called on the vocation of the educator in this moment about how the pandemic had changed their teaching. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and one of the things they're saying is that they're starting to see um, in and I think this speaks to also how this generation learns and how they would like to learn. They'd like to be involved. Um, they're seeing, um, professors pushing them to learn how to learn, which is not which uh, over the course of the last several years with, um, and they've expressed it themselves with teachers having to teach to the test, mm-hmm. um, with, uh, with a, a more passive, um, passive mode of taking in information that they are learning how just now how to become active uh, self-driven learners in some way but also how uh, empowered they feel when they are given opportunity to pursue things that they want to learn so one class that I have I'm asking them like their final project is they have to propose some uh, a, a playwright to put on the syllabus um, so they actually are contributing to future iterations of this class right. and that, that kind of participatory, participatory work is, I think what, um, you know, one of them ex- ex- expressed appreciation for choice, but because it allows them to, to follow their own curiosity. Um, and then we'll see where that curiosity leads.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. I, you know, another thing I'm I'm curious about, because I'm 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 sure that you are both having conversations with your students, maybe as part of the curriculum and maybe just, you know, tops and tails of class sessions about their what they're feeling. Those those who intend to, to join this field post-education. Um, and, and, and what are you hearing from them about their thoughts about, about joining this field as a prospect for their, their livelihood, for their vocation, and as well as for a sort of calling and an art? I'm curious what, what that generation is thinking about this industry in our country.
1: Mm-hmm. It's, it, so my experience has been that, let's say you have 100 theater majors, 25 of them have expressed an interest to move forward. Um, five of them have expressed interest to get an MFA and defer their training. Um, Ten of them have expressed interest to go and just start working, primarily as tech design. Sort of, you know, they can mm-hmm. sort of figure out things. As they navigate. Um, they're they're interested in sort of the like. There are three of us living in an apartment. We're never home. You know, I'm always in the theater kind of career, um, which actually is kind of fun. I used to, I used to want that mm-hmm. as well. Um, and then the other five are sort of like, I am trying to figure this out, but I know I want to do this. The other 75 are like, yeah, I'll probably, I'll I'll probably end up going to business school, law school or something. Mm -hmm. Um, on one level, I'm always like, oh, that's great. I'm glad you have a future. But it, it sort of saddens me though, because sometimes I'm like, well, why not stay with theater? I thought this is what you wanted to do for the past three to four years that I've known you we've been working together, be it in the classroom, be it in rehearsals, be it... I, I, I often bring students on to dramaturgy gigs with me, be it sort of working that, but I thought this is what you wanted to do. And they go, yeah, I did like it, but no, I decided to move on. And that saddens me because I wonder then who's gonna take over the field? Who's gonna move on? Who's going to be the new artist that we're... That, are we grooming new artists? You know, Are we grooming new designers? Are we grooming new educators? Are we grooming new artistic directors and so forth? Um, and it's, so it's, it's kind of scary, actually, because it's not an abundance of students that I thought it would be based off of who's registered versus mm-hmm. who then, when we do a five to six year assessment of alum who actually has gone on to get careers in the field, re- re- regardless of what that is. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you seeing, Marcy? Um, I
2: see among actors a hunger for connection um, and um, for connection to um, theaters in the market. um, uh, a, A need for guidance on what the next steps are. Um, And some universities provide that bridge via showcase or career prep classes or things like that. And some um, some universities um, are very, very, uh, I don't want to say aggressive, but they're very um, assertive about trying to connect their students to the wider industry. Um, And some it's it's um, the the process is more the focus, um, where, where they can put their, um, educators resources, um, rather than sending them on. And so I, what I see a lot of my students experiencing is where are the general auditions? What, um, what do you think I should do? Uh, should I, what, what, what are the markets like right now? They want to know. And, um, so I don't know, Jen, you may get an email about For somebody sometimes saying, hey, may I have a conversation with you? (laughs) Um, I'm here. Also, thank you. But also, uh, I have seen, especially as we know, we are experiencing such a dearth of um, what stage managers, technical directors, um, other um, designers and technicians and uh, managers in the field that I, whenever I see a student who has some facility and interest, I cheer on the inside, and I want to, um, I, I, I want to do the same thing that I want to do for actors, which is connect them. Um, and in some cases, they have those, they have those connections. In some cases, they don't. So we need to bridge ourselves. The, uh, those of us in the professional theater uh, need to. Um, Connect ourselves to our schools close by, um, and and work um, to encourage those who are hungry. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would
0: agree. Well, as we start to maybe wrap up this conversation, we could clearly talk about this for about three straight yes. days, <laughs> but we'll we'll start yeah. to wind this down. But I'm just wondering if you have any um, any thoughts about. What you see coming next in this evolution, again, pandemic's not over, but we are certainly going into this this next phase, um, this next new normal. You can't see my air quotes, but I'm air quoting it. Um, what, what do you think comes next in theater education? Maybe that's too big a question. I well, I think, I think the... the With a lot
2: of departments having been um, compressed because of budget during the pandemic, um, a lot of training programs are really trying to find their way back to being able to be there for students. Um, In some cases, I think students are uh, hungry or frustrated um, with opportunity that is not necessarily there because the department's been hit. Um, but also with that aside, what I see is, um, uh, a need for, and I do see this occurring, a need for departments to, um, cultivate their best practices for working with sometimes an understaffed department to be able to offer students the guidance that they need um, to be able to look at curriculum and what should be on the canon to teach. Now, I think that is a, it's a, it's a little glacial. Right. It's happening, but it's right. happening. Um, what, what is there? And the, and I think that the departments will find that the students are very, um, are very outspoken about and, and Because they care outspoken, outspoken about what they think is worth pursuing. I don't know what that means for the future health of departments, but, um, this, the acceleration back into in-person work is excellent. And the, the conversation is not done. Uh
1: Right. Right. I, I would agree. Um, I would agree. I think that um, we are, we are, I think in many ways we are learning, we're sort of getting back to some degree, we're getting back to why we do what we do.
2: Mm-hmm. By
1: that I mean, many of us did not go into theater, you know, as capitalists as those that are attempting to make so much money. I mean, we got to live, we got to eat. We do want nice, nice lives and things of that nature. able to afford to take care of our families and so forth. But what I'm saying is, you know, many of us did not go into this to have commercial success um, in the context of like Broadway and mainstream theater and so forth. And if that is what you're interested in, great, right? And I think you should thrive with that, right? But I guess what I'm trying to get to is that the arts, we just don't make a lot of money in the arts. It's, it's always an up and down thing. And celebrities are a bit different, right, in the ways in which we create celebrities, right? Um, but and so with that being said, I think we are, we are sort of returning back to a, a period where we're learning to be resilient. Um, even though sometimes you don't want to be resilient, sometimes you just want to have resources and just say, mm-hmm. gosh, I got a pocket of money up that someone donated and we're going to do this big thing. But even that big thing is a venture for like community and so forth, a festival and so forth for new artists or new playwrights. Right. So there's still a way in which we're taking those donations and the, those funds and sort of putting them back out, right. To create opportunities for people. So sort of goes hand in hand. But what I think when I'm, what I'm getting to then, is like we're learning like students are interested in devising. Okay. Students are interested in, they're recognizing how the tech and design areas they don't necessarily have to be working in theater strictly, but they can take those practices and go and work elsewhere. But they can always say, my training was in theater. So in okay. ways, it legitimizes the field and the areas and the study and the degree that you'll get, be it undergrad or graduate. Um, and the last thing I'll say is this, you know, disability in theater is a major area in terms of study and practice, but it hasn't gotten as much light as it should have. And okay. it's happening now. It's happening okay. now. Um, I'm I'm actually going to go into a conversation in a few weeks um, with uh, a scholar of disability studies, Samuel Yates, and we're going to do a conversation about it. But what I'm trying to get to is that we're learning even but disability is not simply someone who is physically. um, um, Disabled like the pandemic, for example. Um, you know, those who were, are, were unable or, or still are unable to just navigate the world as we did yesteryears because of the pandemic, right? And that is something we have to think about and include. And so now you have people in theater and performance who are thinking about how to make our audience spaces more inclusive, how to make the rehearsal rooms more equitable, right? Not simply in terms of funding, finances, and, and, and paychecks. Right. But who has access and can be in the rooms with us because there is um, they have, a, 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 you know, they're immunocompromised uh, or simply fact. We just don't want you to get sick because there is a pandemic and we're not out of it. Right. And so you have people now who are starting to think about those and those conversations are happening in the classrooms, as well as in the rehearsal spaces, as well as in, you know, at theater companies such as Ford. Right. A major conversation. We're still getting emails about. The next few weeks, right, as we move into tech and opening night and so forth, and requiring audiences to wear masks as a form of empathy for our performers, right? Mm. Because also our performers, this is their livelihood. So we need all these members to wear the masks to protect them so that they can continue to make money, right? Once this show is over, they can move on to the next show. Or the, so the simple fact that this show can keep running. So I think that's sort of where we're going, it's where we are. And I think it's also gonna push the conversation. A bit more deeper, and lastly, with slowing down, I think that might be a good thing. I don't. I am someone who can't handle six to seven shows um, in three to four months. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Working on them, singing them. I just as a dramaturg, as a director, I can't handle it. Um, it might be my age. I'm slowing down a little bit. <laughs> I'm getting older. It might be the South because I'm down here now and everybody's slower. But. Um, but it's nice to sort of sit and say, we're going to spend three months or or six weeks, excuse me, two months on this show, um, take a little break and then get to the next one. And that's kind of mm-hmm. nice. Yeah.
0: I love that. I love that. Ooh, so much um, to chew on here. And we will have to talk with both of you again um, soon. But I think we've been going for a while. So I'm going to say that that is all for this episode of Theater Forward, a conversation about theater in Wisconsin, the Midwest and America Thank you so much for joining us, Khalid and Marcy, and yes. everybody listening. Um, we're so grateful. Um, I'm Jenna Puff gray Our podcast is produced by Scott Hayden. You can follow us or share your thoughts on Facebook or Twitter at Theatre Forward, as always spelled with an E-R. Yes. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or any other preferred platform. Please reach out to us if you have comments or questions. And again, we're just so grateful to have you listening and we will be back soon for another Theater Forward Conversation.